Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series today, The Fellowship of the Gospel, with a message entitled, Celebrating a Fellowship of the Gospel. So turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Have you ever wondered why some partnerships are so successful while others fail? Think of the successful business partnerships you may have heard of. Back in 1963, Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield met during a high school gym class. They became fast friends. They often double dated. And eventually, in 1978, the two of them bought an ice cream shop together, which today makes one of the most successful ice cream brands in the world, Ben and Jerry's. When asked why this thing worked, they simply said, it has two things, enduring friendship and a joint passion for food. Sounds pretty simple. I suspect it is more complicated, but I also suspect that if you took those two things away, friendship and a passion for the same thing, no matter what else they did, it simply wouldn't have worked. Consider the childhood friends Bill Gates and Paul Allen. Again, they say it was friendship and a shared obsession with computers. You see the same combination with Evan Williams and Biz Stone, the founders of Twitter, who worked at Google together and realized a friendship and a joint passion. Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak became friends at a summer job in 1970, recognized their joint passion, their friendship, as well as some of their differences, and realized they could build on that. The same formula can also be applied to Bill Hewlett and Dave Packard or Pierre Omidyar and Jeffrey Skoll, the founders of eBay. It may surprise you to find out how many of the best businesses we know of are the result of not a sole effort, but rather a product of a partnership. And yet as successful as some partnerships are, some partnerships are toxic, in which the parties literally destroy each other. What's the key to all these successful partnerships? You know, some suggest that several ingredients are necessary, and that include a common passion, a proper division of the workload, complementary skills, things like that. But what must also be in place is a deep respect for one another and a great sense of joy found in that partnership. Of course, this sermon is not about business partnerships. It's about the fellowship of the gospel. You know, when we introduced Philippians, we found that the key word in this book is the Greek word koinonia, which can be translated as fellowship or partnership. We found that the word fellowship doesn't mean coffee, food, and enjoyable conversations. It means people banding together in the relentless pursuit of a common cause. But here's the thing with partnerships. They don't always last. You might have a common pursuit of a cause, but things happen and, and partnerships often dissolve. That's especially true when it comes to the fellowship of the gospel. In order to advance the gospel into our world, Christians need to form partnerships with each other. In essence, that's what any local church is. It's a fellowship or a partnership in which we dream about and pray for and and work together so that the Great Commission might be fulfilled. But as we do, we will find that our partnership will be tested. That's why so many churches find that their partnership gets disrupted by by lesser motives, self-seeking behavior, power plays, fights, disagreements, and these cause harm. And given enough of these, we forget about our partnership altogether and become involved in lesser things. I mean, that is what happened in Corinth, another Greek church. 
Divisions, lawsuits, theological problems, self-seeking behavior was ruining their fellowship for the advancement of the gospel. But there is something about Philippi. They had established an enduring fellowship, and that fellowship was reaching out beyond themselves and including a vital ministry beyond their church. They shared an enduring fellowship with the Apostle Paul. And today, let's find out how this fellowship was built. And as we do, let's find out how what they did can be applied to our fellowships today. So let's begin by reading Philippians 1, 1 to 5. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, in this text, I see the ingredients for an altogether enduring fellowship. Let's begin with the first two verses. This book is, of course, a letter. And like all standard letters of that era, letters began not by saying, Dear Philippians, as we would do, and then wait to sign our names at the end of the letter. Instead, in the ancient world, one would begin by signing one's name at the top of the letter. So nothing unusual is going on as we begin to read. And like all letters, there's a reason for writing them. This letter has a reason as well. Paul is in prison. You know that because he repeatedly mentions this fact. In chapter 1, verse 7, he mentions my imprisonment. He uses the same phrase in verse 13 and then again in verse 17. Clearly, Paul's incarceration was important both to Paul and the Philippians, and this is a theme. Now, unlike Canadian prisons, or for that matter, any prisons in the Western world, Paul had very few rights. When he speaks of his imprisonment, he uses the Greek word desmos, which means literally a shackle, a restraint. Or even if we think of today's word handcuffs or maybe manacles, we get the idea. Some Bible translations translate this word as my chains. And this is literally what Paul was experiencing. He is chained either by his wrist or ankle. And as we will see later, he is chained to a prison guard. He doesn't have time to go to exercise or to lift weights. And furthermore, Roman prisoners were not supplied with food or clothing. Friends had to do that. If you had no friends to supply you with your necessities, well, you were in a lot of trouble. So according to Philippians 4 verse 18, a member of the church in Philippi had just shown up in Rome. The Philippian church had had an offering, given the money to a man named Epaphrodites, and he had just arrived and supplied Paul with everything that he needs. And what would you do if you were Paul and a member of a church from long away had just showed up to take care of all of your needs? Well, you'd probably write a thank you note. And in some matter, that is what this book is. It's a thank you note, but of course it's more. It's a thank you note between partners in the gospel. So let's start at the beginning. Verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Now that we know what we do, we should already in this very simple introduction notice the partnerships mentioned. Paul partners with Timothy. Well, he must have because on those occasions when he couldn't show up in Philippi, Timothy did on his behalf. And what Timothy taught and did were the very things Paul would have done. 
People at Philippi knew that Timothy never showed up on his own, but that he carried out Paul's instructions. That was a partnership in which Paul multiplied his effectiveness through Timothy. But that's not the only partnership that's mentioned here. The Philippians have a partnership with the elders, the deacons, and all the members of the congregation. They don't mistrust each other. They have a fellowship, a partnership. The elders would have been instructed by Timothy, and they had learned to shepherd and to preach and to teach and disciple and direct the church in the manner of apostolic teaching. Furthermore, many Bible teachers have noticed that in Philippians, unlike most of Paul's letters, he does not introduce himself as an apostle. And that's because he doesn't have to. He does in Corinth because they were challenging his leadership, and so he uses his title there frequently, but not here. He simply refers to himself as a servant or a slave, as someone who's under the instructions of his master. See, Paul is doing what Christ has commanded. The Philippians understand that, and that's the nature of their partnership. Okay, we're ready now for verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If what Paul and the Philippians have is a partnership or a fellowship, we notice that it's a partnership or a fellowship in the gospel. See, grace and peace are gospel terms. We are saved by grace, that is, Christ has saved us apart from anything we have done, and because of the grace that has been extended to us in the cross, we have received peace through the gospel, peace with God and with one another. Now, after a brief introduction, Paul is ready for his thank you note, and this is where it gets very surprising. See, if I were Paul, I'd begin this letter this way. Thank you for your kindness and your gracious concern for me. I'm always going to cherish what you have done for me in this very difficult hour. But isn't it fascinating that when Paul begins this letter, he doesn't begin by thanking the Philippians. Instead, he begins by thanking God. Well, that's because he knows that it was the grace of God and the peace of God that gave the Philippians the ability to do what they did. They were partners, and Christ was the leader. And when we come back, we'll see how this perspective gives perspective to us today. In just these few opening verses from Philippians, we learn so much about this partnership that the Apostle shared with these believers. We get a sense of the incredible emotional and spiritual bond that existed, and all because of this strong connection with the gospel that was shaping and influencing the church to carry on the mission that Paul had instructed. After the break, we'll consider how true fellowship is sustained and rooted in the church as we examine Paul's prayer for the Philippians. Hi, this is Ben Lowell, CEO of Back to the Bible Canada. You know, it's with great sincerity that the entire Back to the Bible ministry team wants to express its deep appreciation for the gracious support of all of our donors. But for this moment, we'd like to express our gratitude to those of you who support this ministry as monthly partners. In normal times, we recognize and value the important role you play. But in unprecedented times as these, the essential nature of your commitment to continue to teach the Bible and share the gospel could not be more obvious. So thank you. Please be assured of our daily prayers for you and your families in challenging times. We extend our gratitude for your partnership in the gospel. 
And remember, all of our resources continue to be made available online at backtothebible.ca. Or for more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425. Let's read Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. We're going to read Philippians slowly, allowing ourselves to think about and savor each verse. Remember, we've already noticed that Paul, rather than beginning this letter by thanking the Philippians for their kindness to him, begins by thanking God. When the Philippian church held an offering and through that paid Paul's prison expenses, Paul knew immediately that it was God who should receive credit for that act of kindness. This had come from God. But now let's notice the details. First, Paul is constantly praying for the Philippians. They may be a model church, but they need more grace that would result in more peace. Paul knows that they need a greater and greater experience of these things. And so every time he prays for them, and by the way, the word for prayer in verse 4 is the word used for prayer of requests that the older English version used to call supplication, asking God for specific things that he knows the Philippians needs every time he prays for them. Second, notice that when Paul prays, his heart is flooded with joy. Well, we noticed yesterday that joy is a theme that literally oozes from this book. Almost four times in each chapter, Paul returns to the theme of joy. Paul may be in prison and partnership between him and the Philippians may be tested because of his circumstances, but the joy that overwhelms him every time he prays for them and thanks God for them is always also there. So what do we learn from that? Well, we learn that the fellowship or the partnership Paul has with the Philippian church is a joyful one, to be sure, but we also learn that a fellowship or a partnership of joy is sustained in two ways. First of all, it's sustained by thanking God for each other. I wonder how often you thank God for people in your own home church, or how many of you can say of fellow believers, every time I think of you. I get down before God and I thank him for what he has done in you. You know, instead of that, some of us say, well, whenever I think of you, I tell God what I don't like about you, and I I ask him to change that. But this is a key to a most satisfying fellowship. The idea that God, by grace, is at work and being aware enough to see it and then giving thanks for what he's doing. And now, a fellowship of joy is sustained by that and also... It is sustained by praying specifically with joy. And that's what we found in verse 4, where Paul models prayer that is based upon the things he perceived or saw or noticed that the Philippians needed, and he prayed for that with delight. Now let's pause and think about that. We can easily make that kind of commitment for each other. But how do you do that in the long haul? I mean, after all, the more we're around each other, the more we become familiar with each other and we notice each other. And the more things we notice about each other, we notice the things that are not quite right. And as has been said, familiarity breeds contempt. So from this text, I want you to notice that Paul gives two reasons for his joy in the Philippians. The first reason is what I call the immediate reason for his joy. And the second is what I call the ultimate reason for his joy. 
Now, we're going to leave the second reason for his joy or the ultimate reason for tomorrow's broadcast, but let's check out the first reason. Why is Paul so joyful when he prays for the Philippians? We find it in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, we've noticed that a part of that partnership was the way in which the Philippians regularly took care of Paul's ministry needs. We noticed, for example, when the Corinthian church was fighting with each other and with Paul, the Philippian church was paying Paul's wages so that the Corinthian church would not be able to charge Paul with just caring about money. The Philippians, from far away, must have had someone report to them of the difficulties that the Corinthian church was causing the apostle. And so the Philippians did what they always did. They had an offering, they paid for Paul's wages, and took care of one area in which Paul was being criticized. They set Paul free. And that was what a partnership in the gospel meant. But it's wrong for us to think that this is all that Paul meant when he thanked God for their partnership. See, I have no doubt that Paul had in mind the growth of the gospel in Philippi. I mean, the reason I think that is because of the words, from the first day. You know, the first day would have been the day when Lydia and her household came to Christ and formed the first ever church in Europe. And then Paul says, from the first day, when the church began, until the present, and everything in between. And that must have included their growth. It must have included their warm reception of Timothy as he instructed them in the faith and the way in which they responded to him when he instructed them as to how to put together the leadership in their local church. It must have included the way in which they were growing in their faith. And it must have also included the boldness of their evangelism. And it must have included the unity they were experiencing. You know, we get hints of that throughout the letter. I mean, look down at chapter 1, verse 27. There Paul writes, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So Paul's thankfulness extends so far beyond their faithful giving. He's thanking God for a fellowship or partnership that sees growth and gospel advancement. Furthermore, no partnership just goes one way. If it does, it's not a partnership, it's a charity. See, there's nothing wrong with charity, but never confuse charity with partnership. Partnership means that both parties are contributing something to the other. Yes, it is true that the Philippians contributed to Paul's ministry, but it's also true that Paul contributed to them. Look at chapter 1, verse 24. There Paul says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So as much as Paul was wanting to go home to be with the Lord, he was concerned that there were things regarding the faith that he still had to help that church with. He needed to strengthen their already existing faith. Indeed, Paul was always strengthening them, and they were strengthening Paul. Both Paul and the Philippian church needed each other. Well, let's not forget what we're talking about. We've been saying that a true fellowship in the gospel, in order for it to endure, must be a fellowship infused with joy. Not just duty, not just demands, or even just a shared vision or a passion for the same things, but it must be a partnership of joy. Joy in partnership or joy in a fellowship means it has a chance of going the very long way. 
And that's why in any local church, when they see a common vision that comes from understanding the mandate of the gospel, it's joy that sustains that vision over the long term. See, every once in a while, I've I've seen people come back from short-term missions assignments, and they're really charged up, and they vow that the sense of, of passion and zeal they felt while they were away should be and would be repeated at home. And then after some time, that that sense of of disappointment, that it's all wearing off and that life is returning to the same, well, normal. And that was the feeling that they were hoping to escape from. See, here's what happened when they were gone. They connected with a set of brothers and sisters for a common goal, a true fellowship, in order to accomplish something for the gospel. And as I have thought about these scenarios over the years, I have come to some conclusions about what those experiences mean. Of course, we can't duplicate the experience of going to another country with a vastly different culture, often with a level of poverty that is simply unmatched at home. But I've also observed that those who go to church only to be spiritually sustained and and spiritually fed, which, by the way, that's great, but after you are sustained and fed for a period of time and don't share a fellowship or a partnership in the gospel with a band of brothers and sisters, well, slowly you get bored and disinterested. A fellowship in the gospel is the missing ingredient. Furthermore, unless that common passion to be on mission for Jesus with others is not infused with joy, even that will not endure. How about you? Is that what you want? Keep listening. We're going to go through this. Join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for fellowship, for local churches. We want to thank you for the mission that you have given to every single local church. Lord, we all know that we haven't been perfect, and we all know that there are times when we have failed you and sinned against you. But Heavenly Father, I pray that you would ignite in every single local church a new and renewed passion for the ministry and of partnering with one another. Heavenly Father, I pray, build unity, love for each other. And Heavenly Father, may what we do together in this hour be remembered in the annals of eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever experienced or are you experiencing this kind of deep, joyful fellowship that Paul describes? We've seen that while the book of Philippians refers to joy so many times, this joy is a byproduct of a greater partnership that seeks to advance the kingdom through spreading the gospel and serving God. What a wonderful reminder of what true lasting fellowship looks like. I hope that you've been blessed and impacted by today's teaching. May we continue to seek the kind of partnership in the gospel that does not fall apart. Listen tomorrow as Dr. Neufeld continues to unpack the book of Philippians. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Who could have known where the world would find itself today? Well, we know nothing is beyond God, beginning to end. We find ourselves in challenging days, unprecedented for most. We're experiencing uncertainty, more questions, I suppose, than answers. But take courage, people of God. He is faithful. In response to our global circumstances, the next five weeks, beginning March 22nd, Dr. Neufeld will be releasing a special video series each Sunday morning. This series has been designed to provide weekly Bible teaching, particularly for those who may not be able to currently worship with their church family. In this series, Dr. Neufeld will provide unique messages of hope found in Christ. 
messages God's people need to embrace, messages we need to be prepared to share with others. Join us this Sunday morning at backtothebible.ca as we search God's Word for today. And if you miss a message, no worries. Prior messages will be available online or on our Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. For more information, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.